Oops, we got it. We'll end that one. You will end that one. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is it recording already? Yes. Oh, I can chop it down. It's fine. <laughs> okay. I feel like it went so well the other day that I'm just like, <laughs> it'll be fine. We'll, we can do it. Yeah. Okay, let me get the questions up. I think last time I forgot to ask you about the um, about the actual diagnosis, diagnosing process, uh, like a process yeah. diagnosed. Uh, which would be like, yeah. But that would be different. Yes. Yeah. The diagnosis was, um, it, I, I think it went over about a time span of two hours. Um, I remember, so I had like these puzzles to do. Um, like one of them involved shapes. I had to try and, so the educational psychologist, she basically took, some triangles i had to try and make squares with the triangles yeah and she took it all apart and i had to try and figure out how to make a square with the triangles um i know that other people with dyspraxia have mentioned that they had other tests like um maybe um like actually fit, having physical tasks to do like uh, tying shoelaces yeah or um uh, throwing and catching a ball um, I mean, I didn't have any of that. Um, I, had I mean, I guess it's sort of, I don't know if it builds a well-rounded um, understanding of um, the whole test. Because, I mean, if, if, you're, uh, if you're taking apart some of those, you know, sort of common aspects of dyspraxia, then it sort of becomes more like, is that a very sort of efficient testing process? Yeah. I know I had, um, maybe I should start the recording <laughs> and then, I don't know. Um, was it already recording so far? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to start. So, um, um, where do I go? Um, Hi, Sam. Thank you for coming. <laughs> okay. Okay, so can you describe your what your experience is having dyspraxia at this current moment? So dyspraxia provides a lot of different aspects. For me, in terms of the strengths that it provides for me, I am good with attention to detail. I'm good at um, statistical analysis. One of my favourite things that I've been doing during the past year is creating my own spreadsheet um, to do with my interests in sports and finding statistical analysis for sports players. Um, but also the challenges that come with it include um, social situations and um, sometimes um, lack of clarity can be a problem in, in terms of if I'm not given the time to um, prepare for situations I become quite anxious and don't know what to do and feel quite pressured. So when okay, so when were you diagnosed with dyspraxia? So I found out I had dyspraxia in September 2015. 
So it was just a couple of months before I turned 17. So that's quite late for someone with dyspraxia, isn't it? Yes, it's um, I, a lot of people that I know have dyspraxia have been diagnosed at a, a young age, maybe five or six years old. And then some also quite later later on, sort of in around the university age. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I know I got diagnosed at the age of seven. I got, I think my primary school teacher when I was in reception picked it up. But, and we did loads of activities such as physiotherapy and speech and language therapy. Did you have anything like that when you when you got diagnosed with dyspraxia? I didn't have um, I didn't have any speech and language um, mentoring or anything like that. I think in the the process that I had to for my diagnosis was more. I think so. At the end, I remember so my parents would discuss um, sort of my difficulties. They would discuss things to the educational psychologist that sort of were a problem before they weren't a problem anymore so I mean when I was 15 I could tie laces to a good effect um you know I've been able to throw and catch a ball really throughout my life I, it's kind of um it's, it's interesting because a lot of people I know have always said that you know it's a young age and as such they couldn't throw and catch a ball um or a frisbee or something like that for example um but for me that's something that I've always been been able to do to a a good effect I guess with um you know I've always been able I've always been given the platform to um to sort of use different apparatus different sporting equipment and practicing these things to become better mm -hmm. so how was your process with the actual diagnosing process it was it very physical like catching and throwing the ball like mine was or was it very like like puzzle orientated, trying to figure out like mentally using your coordination. It was more. It was more based on puzzles. It was based on, um, I believe. So I had this other assessment in um, July two thousand and nineteen. I had a positive assessment of my my skills, my strengths from an organisation called Genius Within, and. I think some of the same processes were used in my diagnosis of dyspraxia. So I was given um, like reasoning, um, critical reasoning and thinking tests. Um, I was given um, like shape and geometric things to do, like um, my observation of shapes and how to build squares from triangles um, and um, different sort of perception. I think maybe spelling might have been or or something to do with spelling might have been in there, like understanding the links, I think, between words. So some words that might link, like, say, three different words or something um, that have, like, a common, um, like, word that links. Um, but none of it was sort of... I don't remember any of it being physical tasks that I had to do. That's really, in that's really interesting, actually. I feel like every single person... well. I feel like like you've said before this um I feel like like you said before when we came on here every single person most people that you've met have a different experience being diagnosed I know mine was very physical being diagnosed that's interesting very interesting yes I do think that over time I think people 
Um, and I think it's also the the um, the accuracy of the the results of these different tests because I think you know doing the testing process in in all of the, the different ways they do it, it's kind of probably more often that they could see that see the result being you don't have dyspraxia based on the fact you can catch a ball or maybe you can tie shoelaces or maybe it's kind of it's this the whole kind of the idea of the spectrum really it, it can be milder it can be sort of you know lesser or it can be more later developmental phases I mean I know that in some developmental phases like as a, as a very young child I didn't I didn't start walking until I was I think 20 months old I think so I was sort of probably nearly two I guess or like you know I think I was two years old nearly two when I started walking well, that's quite. I can't remember me. I remember my mum saying with me, I didn't, I didn't crawl. I rolled everywhere, which I suppose could have been an early sign, but it's too early to figure out whether that is dyspraxia or not. So I feel like. <laughs> so um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about your experience riding a bike. Can you ride a bike? So. This is an interesting one because I was always keen to try and ride a bike to a good level because I know that through school, my friends were quite keen on, you know, when they went to see each other, they'd mostly go on a bike. Um, and for me, in the, the test that we had in school, so we had this um, cycling proficiency agency come to, come to my primary school to, to do cycling lessons. And I was judged at the end to not be safe enough to, to ride a bike by myself. So I would always need company when I went out for a bike ride. And I've had numerous um, instances when I've had uh, injuries uh, falling off my bike. Um, so, I mean, like my, the worst injury I had was quite a common cycling injury. Um, I broke my collarbone in sort of before... I think it was the summer of 2011 I broke my collarbone so I was coming up to 13 years old. How did that did that impact you in a way of did it make you uh, more cautious to go back on the bike or were you more determined I'm definitely going to power through this? Uh, it, it did make me a little bit more anxious about riding a bike but it wasn't a situation where I sort of felt like I'm going to give up from cycling forever. I did, I did um, go, I did go on numerous bike rides after that. Um, but I, I guess due to those situations, I would say that cycling is not my favourite thing to do. Um, so, so, um, so what were your main challenges growing up with dyspraxia? obviously not knowing you had dyspraxia and how do you feel support could have helped you develop? I think in in primary school, there were numerous gaps that I had. Um, I think in, in some scenarios, like my, my parents, you know, were always, you know, singing. They were They were always on the same page as me and trying to actually, you know, really... Um, so, for example, I had an English teacher in primary school who, you know, she was sometimes saying the most ridiculous things about my ability in English. Like she would say that, you know, Sam doesn't know, you know, how to do do this or, you know, he can't 
string together a you know some form of clause or or something or you know he's you know I can't remember if it was I don't know if it was like in year four of primary school I think it was around so about nine years old and I was getting kind of I don't know whether you call it criticism as a child like whether a teacher because I don't think if you're not doing anything purposefully wrong that it's say to criticism for a child but I don't know this teacher did kind of have she almost had a grudge against me somehow like in in English that she didn't she didn't praise any of my abilities in English um and so that was kind of tough and also in activities like sewing for example I think the fine motor skills of using the the needles in sewing and trying to actually finish a design was always quite challenging because the lady that came to do sewing with us was always quite blunt and she would always kind of say you know why are you so slow like you're you're always getting everything wrong and getting like in a in a muddle with everything and um like most of the most of the other children were would actually finish something and do most of it by themselves so if it, do you ever wonder why wasn't it picked up uh, uh, as soon as it was uh... yeah I, I do kind of think that I guess at this point there's a lot more awareness about it and schools probably do find it quicker yeah I think I mean there, there probably would have been quite a few more people in primary school who I would have known who you know probably have dyspraxia and maybe it wouldn't have been seen um I don't think anyone would have known I think back in 2010 2009 um whatever you know anyone of their friends with this dyspraxia because I just don't think that there was enough awareness at that point and it would have been difficult to actually say oh so you know you've found it difficult to ride a bike difficult to um tie shoelaces difficult in sewing for example and yet like there wasn't at that point there was no indication of is that like a an an issue in in like a wider context Mm -hmm. um so if you um so do you think if you had help at an earlier age it would have impacted you differently how you are today yeah I think I think it would in in some ways I think that if I would have had support in order to actually explore opportunities that would have helped me to see potentially more strong points um so something that I've always been sort of half interested in is uh, is drama um and sort of stage type work really um I remember in secondary school there was uh, there was a part in uh, the Shakespeare play called A Midsummer Night's Dream and there were two spaces left and at the time I was kind of like my friend wanted to go into it and then he persuaded me to to sign up for it as well so I played the part of I think I was a cupid in Midsummer Night's Dream and the thing is is that did build my confidence I think even though I felt really shaky and nervous on stage I think it's sort of sometimes it is good to try and push that boundary a little bit to see you know that you can do something that 
you know, in the back of your head, you're thinking, I'd love to do this. I've watched drama programs. Since a young child, I've been interested in Coronation Street. I went to the Coronation Street tour for my, I think my 17th or 18th birthday. And I do love, you know, drama and, and how characters form. I do love all of that, those things. And I think if I was helped to actually explore potential areas of strength rather than focusing on something that I could just never get the hang of, like um, sewing, for example, or some other sport which involved, I guess, maybe like balancing at that point in time. I think balancing and posture was more of an issue. Um, so, because you know, because there wasn't any other opportunity for, much, for me to have a one-to-one kind of support to actually um, help me get better with balance and posture. No, I 100% agree. I know I did, um, my mum put me in drama and acting from the age of five and she even agrees that it just helps you with your confidence. It helps you, helps you with your confidence. It really just helps you push yourself out of your comfort zone, doesn't it? Did you do the, um, wait, did you get given any of the main characters which really pushed you and boosted you? Were like, I think in in um, in primary school and secondary school, it was always quite tough because there were children who, you know, yeah. they had parents who would not accept like anyone else to be given big parts. So yeah. there were, so there were, so for example, the Christmas, the um. The Christmas play that, that we did, yeah, um, we went to one of the local churches in our town to, to do our Christmas play. And there was always one, or in fact, I would say there, were, there was always, there were always two or three children who always got the key parts in every play. They, their parents just would not let them not have the key parts. And one of them, I mean, to be honest, it was on a plate for one of them because one of the teaching assistants in primary school was a parent of one of these children who, whatever happened, she would always get the lead part in, in, a, in a play. And then I think the other child, he always got, and I, I don't know if his parents were ever like helpers or teaching assistants or anything in the school at any point, but those two people always got key parts in in the plays so there were there weren't really any huge and unfair opportunities for anyone else to actually um to get a, a part that could have boosted their confidence to be on stage do you feel that being on stage even if it was in the background just boosted your confidence just being there yes i think it's um i think it really does help to uh, yeah, boost that confidence in front of people and, and speaking and giving a platform to, to build something. Because I think in in many different scenarios, I've been in different subjects throughout school and, um, and, jo- and joined uh, different courses and things in, in college. And I think speaking about different things and speaking in front of people, I think doing something like drama or stage type things in primary school as as a beginning and being given more opportunities in that regard would have would have been 
much more beneficial in me feeling confidence in front of people I think mm-hmm. maybe you would I feel like you would have benefited from the drama school that I went to every single year they would create their own script and every single person would have a part there may be there may be characters who maybe had a little bit more but every single person had a speaking line and a time to shine to sort of like boost their confidence and feel yeah boost their confidence and just try new things and they'd always give us the experience so I feel like I feel like you would have benefited from that (laughs) yeah I, I do believe so I mean it's I guess it's one of the difficult things because being on stage is not an easy thing I guess at that point and to be honest maybe even still today maybe they maybe they just allow people to make the choice and maybe it's like first first dibs on on who wants the key parts rather than having like a a class vote or something on you know picking names at random of of who gets each part because I guess I mean I guess it's difficult you know because if someone doesn't want a key part you can't make them but then at the same time it could be something that could I mean it it could be an unknown entity really it could really help in the long term Um, and I guess being given an opportunity to shine in in a different context other than an academic one actually helps and I think would have probably helped someone like me really yeah yeah so we're going back um um, so look, going back to support, what you said you didn't get any support in primary school or high school. What support did you get in college and how did that really help you? So in terms of like real support, yeah. Um, because I think in, in high school towards, so when I was in doing GCSEs yeah. and lessons like English, I would say it was most prevalent in English. In in English, the, you know, support, if you like, that I had was actually quite, you know, it was, it was decent support. It was support that I felt was adequate and helped me to feel more confident did in English. Have, Math- did you have, like, in lesson support while they sat next to you in high school? So? Yes, it was. Um, so the teaching assistant, I sat at the back of the classroom and the teaching assistant would sit between me and another boy. But um, it's, yeah, I felt that that support was good. But in maths, um, maths and science, the support was, I wouldn't say it was great, but, you know, it was, I guess, OK at times, um, which wasn't really enough for like where I was at, to be honest. But in college, I had a proper learning support assistant um, who would come into the majority of my classes. Um, so I met with the the head of special educational needs in the college that I went to, and she sort of went through things with me. She showed me around. She discussed with me about what the learning support assistants do. And I would have one in like the majority of my lessons. To be honest, I think I remember having about seven different learning support assistants during my time at college. And I would say one of them was was great. Like one of them was very good because she understood me on a human level, first of all. But then she understood how to support me. And I guess the thing is, is that you 
it's rare that you really hit the jackpot with a learning support assistant that actually understands the topic that you're studying. I mean, their job, I guess, is to just be be able to help you understand what you're doing. As you go along um, with it. To... Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for me, this this um, learning support assistant that I had was very good, and I enjoyed my experience with her as my learning support assistant. But the other ones, I mean, they'd sometimes even like bring like a do- like a diary or a doodling book or something like because they didn't really know what to do to help me and it was in a situation where I was just not confident in asking the, the teacher anything um so again that was sometimes just a non-starter and I just felt at that point like I had to leave the the courses that I was doing because you know there wasn't sort of that um relationship between me the teacher and my learning support assistant to actually get the best out of the situation. I feel like there should have been like more support for someone like you to go to to express like your worries. Like I feel like they're not helping me enough. Uh... Yes, I think it was it was really difficult because yeah. I'm I'm the sort of person who I would want to say what I believe because I I do believe in being honest and I believe in. I guess it's something that um, because I, I've seen a careers coach before. And the one thing that I went through with her was like my my values, like what I value in myself and other people. And it's kind of honesty was a key thing for me, honesty and integrity. But she said that one of the key things is that there's basically the rule with honesty is that honesty should always be the best policy. But then there are times where being honest is uh is going to get you like pelters it's going to it's going to get you feeling really downbeat because you could be honest with someone they won't like that and then it's kind of like how do you rebuild that connection again yeah. with somebody i mean it it was difficult to actually go go to the head of learning support assistance and and say like you know sometimes it's just not working like i need i feel like if I don't have this particular learning support system, it's kind of a bit of a non-starter. I just don't feel like I really have a connection. I don't really feel there's a human connection with me and the person. And I also don't feel like they they understand the best way to help me. And I feel like I'm wasting their time because they should be able to be with somebody else in college who really needs the support. Yeah. Well, that's really sad, actually. <laughs> um I don't think I could imagine having a learning support like that. I had a learning support where she was a little bit, where I was a little bit, with my dyspraxia, sometimes I find it hard to process information. So sometimes she'd think I didn't know what I was going, I didn't understand the topic. So she'd start writing it for me. But I soon went to the head of the um, disability department and sorted that one out. But yeah. <laughs> So, um, oh, what? so what are your strategies for keeping organized? Are you a messy person? Are you quite, are you quite naturally organized? So I would say that with regards to organization, I'm kind of the person who 
I would say some things are an organized chaos. And I'd say that I can be more organized. Like I have I have um folders. I have folders for certificates and work related things and important yes. documents. But then I do sometimes get things that pile up on my desk, for example. Like um I mean to be honest, the things that get in a pile aren't important things. They're just sort of things sometimes I just sit at my desk and just casually do something like read my book that's in this pile or um, I might write in my in my notebook some lists about things um, and so as long as it's nothing important that I start getting a pile a pile of things um, I do I am able to actually put things in in a good orderly fashion and I, I've realized at this point in life it's very important to have like a folder or a filing system so I don't lose important things that I might need in the future. Did you ever find, find when you were younger, I definitely did that. You just shove everything into your bag and then you don't know where anything yeah. is. <laughs> yes, I would always, I would do that a lot. I think especially if I was under pressure with um, with homework, for example, if I had quite a bit of homework to do or if I had um, like maths tests and things or like just things to do at home and I would sort of, stuff everything into my bag and then try my best to deal with it and prioritize what I needed yeah. to do because I felt like at times because it's a difficult thing sometimes for my parents to to help in in some subjects or to actually understand the best way to help me I mean in the end I did get I mean in high school like I got a math tutor and things like that and I and I decided myself to go to extra English classes at school to help me with my English but um yeah I, I would say that filing having a proper filing system helps me to keep a level of order and um not lose important yeah, I things. only just realized this a couple of years ago to try when, when a TA suggested it to me getting different books in different folders and I feel like I'm so much more organised. And then I don't, I think you can agree, like you said before, I think you can agree how, especially you said about organising, is quite hard when you don't do it. <laughs> yes, I mean, to be honest, I think, so yeah. the other day, so I was looking for my certificate for my, because I studied a level two business administration course in around June or July last year. And so I completed it and I got, I, I know I passed it. And I was like, hang on. Like I was saying to myself, I was thinking to myself the other day, did, did I ever get like my business administration certificate? I can't find it. Like in, I thought I had it in the pile on my desk. And yet this is the one I have on my desk is my level two counseling skills um, course yeah. that I passed. And so I was like, I don't think, so I passed this course in June or July last year. And yet I can't even find like my, my certificate and so I, I texted the tutor that I had um, the online tutor who sent me the the workbooks and everything for it and then and then like five minutes later I texted her back saying no worries I found it in my folder that has a label called work on it um, so I mean I didn't realize that I put it in this folder that I've got a label that says work and because um, I don't have like the folders that I have I mean, I guess it was sort of work in a sense, like it was something that I would that I hope to use for work in the future. 
Um, so this counselling skills course that I did in the business administration course, I hope that I'm going to be able to use those things in some scenario in a future work opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've done that as well. Or I've just put it in ran. I'm trying to be organised, but in the future, but in the future when I go look for it, I'm like, what was I thinking? That's not being organised. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um it's sometimes difficult to know what uh, system to have. I know a lot of people, fellow people with dyspraxia, they do have um, like colour coded things or they might have. Um, so they might use stickers or something. They might have like a green sticker for one thing and a blue one for another thing and yellow and red yeah. and, and things like that. So it sort of but then it gets to the point where you don't even know once you've actually finished a folder once you've not got any more space in a folder it's like what are you going to do next are you going to get a folder and call it work two or work three or I mean it's it's quite a challenge I think like once you get loads of paperwork and you don't know sort of if you get so much of it where to yeah. put it all um so I'm not sure if I've asked you this question but what were the main challenges growing up that um what were the main challenges growing up that you feel like could have been helped with support I think um I think from the age of 11 or 12, I think it became much more apparent that my sort of social life was a lot more challenging. Um, so it, it sort of became more difficult for me to form um, friendships because the friends I did have. So at the end of primary school, one of my really good friends moved school um, to a school about 20 minutes away um and my other two really good friends like they had friends outside of our primary school so they were friends with people who went to different primary schools who they then met at um at our secondary school um and I and I didn't I wasn't comfortable being in big groups because I didn't feel like I was recognized I felt like I was very much on the edge and I wanted to be I wanted to be known I wanted to be feel like I was there and considered by people so I sort of sometimes I would play football with a tennis ball um at lunch times and some people by the same age would join me who you know they weren't sort of the friends that I had grown up with but you know I was sort of happy to spend time with them at lunch times and I guess like in a sense they have become sort of I don't know if I'd say friends like acquaintances, maybe. I mean, I find it difficult with acquaintances because you sort of have to spend a long time to actually. Because I've the three really good friends I have. I mean, I've known the three of them, I think, since around the age of three years old or four years old. So I've known them for like 18 yeah. or 19 years. And it's like th these people that I met in middle school or um high school it was kind of like I've not known them for as long 
and the friendship hasn't been going for as long as that and I don't feel I know those people as much as I do the three really good friends I have so it's kind of um the social impact was quite big for me once I got to like secondary school and high school because at high school the lunch times were different so people were on different lunch times so it was either at 12 25 to 105 or 125 yeah. to 205 so you would have two lessons after lunch or one lesson after lunch and if I had no people who I recognized on my lunch then I'd just be by myself I'd just be sitting at a table by myself or I'd sort of put my headphones in and walk to the other side of the school and and like just sort of um sometimes like crouch and the thing is is that I understand at this point how bad that can really be kind of like crouching down in a corridor because it would just destroy your posture really more than anything just like sitting up against a wall like listening to music and like but that's like the really kind of sad impact of what um and what I really just hope to improve like throughout my life now is to find um like um, opportunities to make Mm long-term connections with people yeah I definitely sympathize with you it was there was I think in high school I only had two friends and when they weren't around my confidence was my I can sympathize my confidence was quite down to go up to people. Are you a naturally shy person? Because I um I would say I would say possibly um because I think in in college like I remember because I went yeah. on, the last course I was doing at college was business. And I ended up leaving the business course, like, towards the end, like, before I was supposed to sit sit an exam. But I didn't feel confident with the exam and what I'd been taught at all. Because, again, the consistency of the teachers, we had, like, five or six different teachers in, in business. And I didn't feel confident with the content that I had learned. So I left before I did the exam. And during my lunch times and my break times, I was just so nervous to like like go, go up to anybody and just sort mm-hmm. of talk to them. Um, so I was always just kind of by myself, like listening to music or, you know, watching like just funny things to try and lift my mood on YouTube um, or reading my magazines. So it was, um, yeah, it, it's just it's something it's a goal that I have to just try and like meet uh, like-minded individuals and try and find opportunities to do be able to like do that. you feel like there should be more support to try and like to encourage people to not like force people to make friends but like like sort of like form friendship groups with people who struggle? So I, feel like... I, th- I think yeah I think that would be beneficial for a lot of people. I think the things like in college I think, um, I mean, to be honest, it's a different it's a different world almost at college because people study different things. They do. Um, I mean, they might study. So one of my friends did. And I think I'm not sure if he's still studying. I mean, because he's at um, the same like. So the university and the college are literally across the road from each other. So one of my friends uh, is at the university and I think was studying sports coaching. Um, but he also played like for the university rugby team, I think. 
So the thing is, at college, it's a whole different world because I don't know if I could have, because of you know, I don't I don't live in the same town as the where the college is. It's difficult. It would have been difficult for me to actually spend time in in accessing the opportunities to get into playing sport, for example, which would have been probably my best port of call. I would have enjoyed like getting into maybe yeah. hockey or football. Um, and I just wasn't given um, or I didn't feel like that opportunity presented itself um, because I was studying something completely different. It's different. It's different when it's when you're at school, because when I was at primary school, I did actually go to football training, I think, which was on like Thursday nights or something like after school. So like, I think quarter past three to quarter past four. Um, and it's it's just kind of like um, the opportunities because it was in the same building and I could just attend like the extracurricular things. But then in college, it's just more difficult. Um, like if you're not studying there towards like the times when they're actually doing these activities, then you can't get involved. Yeah, completely. I completely get you. In my first year of college, I it was a big group, but I very much isolated myself. And a lecturer came up to me and said, "There's a person in another class that was a drama class." And he's very lonely too. Do you two want to not maybe like just talk to each other? And I feel like that was the best decision because now I'm feel like I'm his, I'm one of his best friends now. So yeah, so I feel like yeah, I, I feel like I wish more lecturers did that. I feel like I mean yeah. <laughs> I totally get what you're saying because I think so. Before I'd. So between, so I did, I studied music at college and then after music, I was kind of thinking, I want to attempt to try A-levels. So I signed up to do English language, media and sociology. And I had, I think it was like an eight week, I think it was six to eight weeks, like trial period, basically like an induction to see if it was the right fit for me. And in the end, the A-levels weren't the right fit for me. I was getting like very anxious and stressed about the, the work level and like how quick the assessments were. I had a key assessment in English uh, language and I think it was after the first three weeks and I'd, not, I'd literally done like no revision for it because I didn't understand the level of the work I was doing. And I just, like, I just ran to like the n- nearby corridor and just broke down. Um, and I feel like the thing is, I met some really good people. On, I met three good friends on the A-level courses that I was doing. Um, so, I mean, that was sort of based out of nothing, really. It was kind of like I just, I think in the classes, when we were doing things in pairs and when I sat next to people, and I think when we did like an icebreaker thing, these three people were kind of the more easier people to speak to. Um, so... I mean, I still contact them every now and then. I had a video chat with one of them um, a couple of weeks ago on Tuesday. And I think it's, I think it is kind of something that I wish maybe a bit more. I mean, to be honest, I've always felt a bit awkward about icebreaker activities. And, and even when they've done them at Dyspraxia Foundation events, they, I've, I've always felt kind of a bit awkward about doing like, I don't know, musical, well, 
like a musical chair almost type of thing where you have to try and say something and then all the people so say if you said um i wear glasses and then all the people who are wearing glasses have to switch seats and stuff and if i'm the last one and i have to stand in the middle and say something i always kind of feel really nervous at that point but i do think that there should be more options for lecturers and teachers to actually think more outside the box of how to actually um, bring people together rather than something that might be more anxiety inducing like icebreaker activities so i think it should be more sort of put onto the teachers and lecturers to find alternative yeah, ways to bring people together so i think that's all the questions i'm going to need today thank you sam for joining me for this interview for that's absolutely fine. That's, I've very much enjoyed it, Athena. Bye.